Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 201, the Grand National Turkey Calling Champion Panel from the 2018 NWTF Convention. And I am your host and the guy who is headed to the new hunting camp this weekend for a work day. So this should be a good opportunity for me to be able to get refamiliarized with some of the hunting land that this club has leased because it has been many years since I hunted there. Plus, they also picked up some more land this year that's new land for them. So I've got quite the learning curve ahead of me when it comes to learning this new dirt. But I think once I get some time spent in the OnX app marking fields, marking trails, marking roads, I think I'll have a pretty good grasp and feel of where I'm headed when I get there. So that'll be good because we're not terribly far away from the opening weekend of deer season in Alabama. And now that I think about it, we are just over six months away from the opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama, which is 191 days, 11 hours, 19 minutes, and 51 seconds away. Don't blink, because it'll be here before you know it. So I've got a very cool show for you guys today. It is the recording of one of the seminars that was done at the NWTF convention back in February in Nashville. And in this seminar, there was a panel of, I think there were seven different Grand National Turkey Calling Champions on this panel. And some of the turkey sounds that these guys make are just ridiculously good. I mean, these guys are amazing. So I'm going to tell you this, and then we're going to jump right into the panel because there's some good stuff in here. The panel starts off a little bit slow unless you are just gung-ho on listening to guys that are really good with turkey calls doing some turkey calling. Towards the end of the seminar, these guys start diving into some turkey hunting techniques and strategies and offering some tips and there is some gold for us turkey hunters at the end of this recording. So I am not going to keep you from it any longer. Here is the panel of Grand National Turkey Calling Champions and I will see you guys on the other side. 
Billy Gargas, world and grand national champion, give him a big round of applause. Next is Mark Pruden, and Mark has been very busy this weekend. He took over with Brian Lovett uh, running the Grand National Trophy Fallen Championships. He's been running around like a chicken when his head fell off. But Mark is also the most prolific, most accomplished Grand National Turkey caller in the history of the sport. He's got more Grand National Championships, two-man, owl, champion champions, you name it. He's got more championships than any human being alive. Mark Rubin. <laughs> Preston Pittman's been calling since Theodore Roosevelt was president. <laughs> He went to the very first turkey calling science test ever, of which there was two cave, two cavemen and a dinosaur competing. Preston, Preston won. Preston has won every major turkey calling championship there is, and including place in the top five of the Grand National Championship. Let's welcome Preston Pittman. I'm sorry, world champion too. Chris Parrish, you all know Chris. Chris probably is known, um, I know Chris because he, he, he kept me from winning a lot of money over the years. Um, you, whenever you look at turkey callers and their history, uh, or, and then you compare to golf, we obviously got in the wrong sport. Okay? That said, if you're looking at turkey calling winnings, turkey callers winnings, gross winnings, what they've taken from turkey calling championships, and I'm talking tens, twenties, hundreds, thousands of dollars, whatever the, the, the top money. And that's what they rank, by the way, your world rankings in golf, is how much money they win per year. Uh, nobody has taken more money in turkey calling championships, and he's won two grand national champions, many championships, and many world champions, Chris Parrish. <laughs> Next, you're, you're kind of pushing forward to the, to the new age, to today. And I'm not saying it's any tougher to win. So you can ask Jesse. It's because Jesse tried beating all these guys when these guys were in their prime. And Jesse had to come up through the ranks. He was not an overnight success. Uh, but Jesse is winning now. Jesse has won everything so far he's competed in in this convention in 2018. He's also last year's defending 2017 Grand National Champion, Jesse Martin. So what I'm going to begin with is... Uh, Here's the topics we're going to cover. Uh, we're going to cover realism. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have each guy, each champion caller, kind of run a few calls, go down the line, whatever call they want to decide to run, okay? I want you to hear them call, and you guys want to hear them call. We're going to let each caller give his time to call. Then we're going to go back through the same line, and they're going to go through technique and how they make that call real. So, so this first round, as they go through and call, this is just going to be basically a calling demonstration. We're going to start with Jesse Martin at the end. Jesse, fire away. What are you going to do? Uh, Cluck and Perk, Plain Yelp. Cluck and by Jesse Martin, current Grand National Champion. Beautiful, but he literally forgot his turkey calls and had somebody make his calls for him this morning. 
So Chris Parrish, where are you going around? Well, it's your fault because you didn't let me forget at my old age that I actually had to Oh, hey, you <laughs> By the way, Chris is now the new national product manager for Bear Archery, and I think that's how. Let's just give him a big round of applause. New Horizons for Chris. He hasn't forgot how to pretty ball problem. I'm just going to do a little bit of cutting, keep some stuff soft, so be open with it. So, because I haven't really gotten familiar with the call yet. Mark started calling and he put it down and he goes, you son of a beehive, you're 
got parts. Jim Pollard, one of the, the man that makes the prettiest presentation on stage, on stage I think I've ever heard. What do you got for us? I'm going to do some playing A over some fucking burn soft stuff. Positively uh, impacted their life, either maybe game golf companies or uh, other outdoor industry uh, companies. So I'm going to real quick go down the line and, and just briefly explain. Jesse, you're a current winner. How has it affected you and what you're doing and what you're doing in the industry compared to maybe, say, five years ago? 35 years ago, after you know, winning last year's Grand National, I looked up with a company that uh, I got, got a chance to, to build a lot of calls. I know, I know how it has. But tell, tell the audience, you know, kind of how it's affected your life with your game call uh, company, and then uh, now your your career has changed into the archery field. Yeah, well, there's probably not enough time to talk about how everything's affected. But you know, I, I want to. It was a blessing for me to come up through the ranks in the day of the day that I did as a turkey caller because you know all of what I consider the greats that pioneered the sport were still a part of the sport, including Preston. You, 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 date, you date way back. Uh, and I don't mean that as a bad thing, but Walter Perry, Paul Budsky, you know, all the guys that, that, you know, Dick Kirby that pioneered everything and kind of paved the way for all of us. I got to walk through that era and win during those times and come up to it. When what I think the Grand Nationals was at its peak meaning, when, you know, we got to go do the David Letterman show, we got to go do things that, that built our popularity, that gave us that next step to, to create businesses and be to be recognized by other companies and I got to live that and, and so I took that I designed my own stuff and started building calls for other companies OEM you know uh, got hooked up with Harold and David got to do some outdoor television stuff and that gives more credibility to this group from there you know you 
you can always try to reinvent yourself, but I always feel like that either you're you're a part of something, which is, you know, the, I like the outdoor industry, or you're a machinist, or you're you're something else, but I don't know what I'd do if I, if I wasn't working in outdoors. It's, it's been a, an incredible event for me. And, and, and we're, we've been blessed to have you, one of the most talented, not even the turkey callers, but turkey call builders there, there has ever been. Preston? That's only because you come over. Can y'all hear okay? Can y'all? If you could, yeah, there's, there's a mic in front of you. Pass it or pick up the mic and talk it if you don't mind. It's on. First, Chris, very wonderful. Thank you very much. <clears throat> hey, what it did for me? Y'all had a Mississippi redneck that ain't got no book learning that I barely got from high school because I had a little thing called dyslexia. Nobody knew what it was then. The Equilibrium Agreement. And I've been very, very blessed and very, very thankful to the NWTF for the competitions that's been out there. It has given y'all, the audience, really, so much more information than even in Chris's days, especially in my day. Heck, we didn't have cell phones back then. We had to learn it the hard way. We had to get out there, you know, and try it. I'm going to say this. When y'all heard me say I'm going to go kill a turkey with my call, if you notice that little protocol, I scratched in the leaves while I was yelping. So I had the crow looking at the turkeys while the turkey was yelping and scratching. That's how I could be listening to my call. Not necessarily in the sounds itself, because y'all keep reminding me I'm too darn old right now. I can't love like what I used to do. So I do anything that I can to put that realism into it. But there's never been an organization like the NWTF. There will never be another organization like the NWTF. Simply said, it's a family. And I'm proud to be part of that family. Mark Crew, well said. Preston, thank you. Yeah, and uh, yes, um, one thing I can say, too, is I would say everybody at this table has helped me tremendously throughout the whole time I've been calling. But I've been very fortunate. I've kind of, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm the opposite, but um, I've kind of been in the woods my whole life. Um, my full-time job, I'm a wildlife manager. So every day I'm in the woods. So that didn't really change me, but it, it did change a lot of opportunities that I got. Um, so you're telling us you just mess around the woods all the time. I, I, pretty, I pretty much stay in the woods all the time. And, uh, every, every day. Yeah, but you get paid for it. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to get paid to do what I love. And I've always done that. I mean, I, I pretty much, as soon as I could drive, you know, have worked in the woods. And, um, and I've had an opportunity to be around a lot of creatures and hear a lot of sounds and a lot of people aren't um, lucky enough to hear. But when I started competing, um, and all these guys helped me many years, but um, it, it opened up a lot of doors, got me on some hunts, and got me in, in front of a lot of people that, I mean, if it wasn't for turkey call, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. And um, it, so, I mean, it definitely has changed things, opened doors that I never would have would have had. But um, it's, it's just been a, been a pretty good ride so far. Billy Artis, how has it uh, uh, just affected your lifestyle? I, I know you build calls as well, so fire away. Yeah, it's become a big part of my life. I took turkey on it for about 20 years before I got into a calling contest. 
And the only reason I got into calling contest was because I wanted better perfect calls. That did happen. I was uh, fortunate enough Chris Perry started teaching me how to build turkey calls and he helped me uh, start learning how to express all the You did too good of a job, Chris. But he started teaching me how to impress people rather than just turkeys. So I knew how to impress the turkeys, but uh, he, he walked me up through the steps on that. And yeah, it's, uh, I had no intentions of trying to win Grand Nationals or World Titles or anything like that. It's a blessing from God, and that's where it's uh, affected me in a couple of different ways. It's been part of my, become part of my income at home, building turkey calls so that I can try to, and that's our, my plan is to try to build a turkey call exactly like I like to use and put it out there for anyone else to be able to use uh, and try to be consistent about it so each year that you can buy that. But the other part of that is it's also opened the doors to do a lot of public speaking at churches, wild game suppers and things like that to be able to lift up God and uh, and show him the glory for what he's given me and how he's blessed me. Well said, Billy. Jim Powell. I guess the, the biggest thing for me, uh, what I've gotten from turkey calling is just the friends and family that I've met during the years of doing it. Uh, this is... Uh, you know, during the Grand National Senior Division today, you know, those uh, 14 callers are going to be sitting back there. And I mean, they're sitting back there as one. They are a family. And uh, the friendships that I've acquired over the years of, of competing, uh, is just, it's, it's unprecedented. I, I couldn't ask for better friends. I, I, there's no way I could find more friends. Uh, it's, it's a sport that's been very, I've been very blessed to win what I've won. And it has allowed me to start my own turkey call company, Powers Elite. And uh, so I've gotten a lot from the sport. Uh, and there's there's not a guy sitting up here on this panel that you know I don't owe some debt to because they've all helped me. I mean, and that's that's one thing about this sport is nobody is nobody's greedy. You know, it's like, well, I'm not going to help him because he may beat me tomorrow. No, they'll bend over backwards to help you and and. Uh, you know, it's it's just a it's a great sport, uh, and it's a the sport is only great because of the people that make it. You know, and it goes way back from you know Ben Lee, Dick Kirby, you know, all the pioneers. Uh, you know, you guys are looking at you know a bunch of pioneers. You know, people will be calling you know these people up here pioneers in another 15, 20 years. You know, it it, it just continues on. I, that's just an awesome thing to me. Well said, Jim. Okay, we're gonna pass the mic all the way down, or one of them down here to Jesse. What what I want to do is uh, and remind everybody that, that I hate to cut it short, but uh, Mark Prudham and I have to be at that ring presentation at noon, um, so we're gonna probably knock off here at 11:30. It's okay for you guys. It's a miracle. Steve stole the stuff. I promised you that you would hear these guys call. You've already heard them call a little bit. Now um, I'm going to have each one and make it, uh, let's try to make it maybe a minute or so or two on how you incorporate realism into what call that you featured or you can do a different call. But uh, I think one of the things that separated these gentlemen up here from the rest is being able to incorporate realism in your call, taking a call and taking it to the next level, setting the next bar uh, for calling. And, 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 and Jesse's there now, it's continuing. And again, the calling's really, it's not any tougher to win a Grand National Championship than it was 15, 20 years ago. It's just 
the, the, the variety of people that have become top callers, the field is a lot bigger, I think, now than it was then. Um, so Jesse, fire away with realism, and how, how are you making realism in that soft call you doing at Yelp? But the realism, like in the club part, you know, you get a lot of hands down just club part and walk through the woods. They'll, whether they're opening their mouth just to just to whine or, or feeding calls, like in the plain yelp, you know, they won't just walk through the woods doing a yelp. They'll uh, they'll put some clubs here and there. And if you incorporate that in with your calling, well, as you're hunting, you know, you're just convincing that that gobbler that that's a real hen right there. The more that you listen and pay attention as you're hunting, if you got a hen coming in. I, I, myself, I like when a hen comes in just as much as a dog. That's uh, I'm listening, I'm learning, uh, filming, whatever we got to film with, we're listening there, and she does just, just pay attention on how she's communicating back to you. Or if there's a bird gobbling in the distance, what she's saying to him, don't just be there, be in the moment, you know, be in, be in that moment with the hens in the turkey, and, and just listen to what communication they're doing back and forth, but anything you can do to add more realism to just one call. So I'm going to ask you to put a call in your mouth and, and <coughs> run a plain hen yelp without the realism and then add the realism and show show the difference of what we're talking about. I think, you know, a lot of times, Shaker tells us a, a million words. I'll do like a, say, like a tree call, uh, like a hen waking up and then getting allowed to, to, to locate the others where they're at, maybe that maybe in the area. Turkeys go in and out. Turkeys go up and down. They have variances in, in, their, in their in but one thing's always the same: the rhythm and cadence. Chris? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> realism in one of the calls you got that somebody just. Got. <laughs> well, I got to give Jesse credit. I it was I was on my way down here and Steve text message this group text message and says. Hey, remember you got this some like, oh boy. <laughs> Black, you mean the business. one I was late for? Yeah, the one you were late for. <laughs> so I said, anybody have any turkey calls they can bring with them? Because I have zero with me and, and Jesse fixed me up. So I'm, uh, but at any rate, you know, the way I learned was, was kind of funny. And I used to practice for hours and hours and hours calling, listening to CD, or not CDs, but cassette tapes and records of, of uh, Dick Kirby and uh, Ben Lee and all those guys and even Rob Keck. A lot of things were you know, on tape and I listened to calling over and over and over again and trying to mock it. Then in, uh, I remember in 1984, I went out and started filming turkeys. I'd go rent a camera and film them and I'd film, you know, it may go the whole weekend and get one little 18 piece of footage, but you could learn from that. And I still have those tapes today. You can't hardly see the video, but you can hear the audio. So anyway, I would listen to this stuff and I got to learn a long time ago. One presentation on the stage is to 
in my opinion, impressed the judges. But I think if we if we've seen the guys that presented it realistically that can be believed are the guys that tended uh, continue to always win and, and go to that next level and always, you know, are more consistent with it. And I think it's the same way with the wood in the woods. Turkeys have evolved. They're different today than they were 20 years ago. Uh, this will be my 41st year of hunting, so I've seen a lot of transitions. And I think not necessarily being a world champion caller or a grand national champion caller, but being good with your ears and listening and applying that and getting to be putting your calling into the most real that you can, meaning that you're presenting the call the way turkeys truly do it in the woods. You're not just haphazardly calling to them. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna do a real quick, because I've talked enough, I'm gonna throw together a kind of a call that most turkeys hear from callers and then what I like to do. So maybe that'll give you a little bit of a difference. Well, this is the normal, what normally happens when caller calls the turkey. He gobbles. He gobbles. That'll kill turkeys, no doubt. Look, a squeaky gate hen will kill him on certain days. But let's back up and let's say if you were a turkey out there listening, would you rather hear that or? things and other things but guess what they're going on 
all day long, every day. Why not incorporate them into your collar? And instead of killing those two-year-olds, you start killing four, five, six, seven-year-old gobblers, okay? My main call? You don't want to live that long around you in your life. <laughs> well, if I can't call him by God, I'm going to crawl him. One of the two. <laughs> All right, hopefully I'm on hunting legally, yes, we are morally right, and I can't help my morals get low during turkey season. Oh, it comes from the side. Billy? <laughs> I agree with Mark 100%. You know, like you said, a lot of us all call them. I hunt the Mark Wayne Lake area up in our area. 
that's probably fun. And uh, that's one of the things that you have to do. You have to, you have to be different than the uh, other hunters. Yet continue to be realistic because the realistic calling is what uh, really helps you to kill uh, those gobblers that aren't wanting to, to listen to that. And one of the things that I like to do uh, when the hens get into an area and the hens get fired up and the gobblers are gobbling and, and especially the early season uh, you hear more hens later on in the season you don't hear quite as many hens but a lot of times what I like to do is I like to try to try to sound like two and sometimes even three different three different turkeys you know when I'm when I'm hunting when they're wound up uh, I've been told I call too much and I call too loud like it was but that's I'm gonna demonstrate maybe a couple of different hens just talking back and forth. And when a turkey gobbles, one of the things that I like to do is I like to try to have that conversation. What, what I'm telling him when I do get fired up, when I when I fire on the like I'm telling him that I got excited when he gobbled. I mean that's that's telling him something. That's like a young girl telling a, a teenage boy, you know how I know you were a strong machine. Is that what you're telling me? That's what I'm trying to say, yeah. Deer hunters trying to hunt turkeys, and 
And uh, they were just, the turkeys were gobbling on their own, very good out of the roost. They shouldn't have been saying anything, but they just, they got to hear that turkey gobble. And they were just walking every 10 yards, hooping, making that turkey gobble. And they, they were just surrounding him, trying to walk in and bust him out of trees, what they were doing. But uh, anyhow, uh, I try to do everything opposite from what everybody else is doing. Uh, I think, and I think all, everything these guys have said, I agree with 100%. But I've always said, and I'll always believe this, the number one thing every day of the season to kill a turkey is your setup. If you're not set up right, you're going to struggle. Uh, I've preached that my whole life, set up, set up, set up. Where I hunt, because there is, it's all public land, and it's, it gets pounded every day. We only have a two-week season, so guys take a vacation, they hunt every day. Uh, the good thing is we're allowed to hunt all day. So a lot of my turkey hunts don't even do now, and we kill a lot of turkeys then. Uh, you pretty much have it to yourself, but, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, the parking spot. You know, every area has its favorite spots where everybody likes to pull over and listen. You know, and there's a reason for that. There's always turkeys there. 99% of the time, those guys are set up between their truck and the turkey. I will never, ever will I do that. I will circle all the way around and try to work that turkey in the direction that he hasn't been worked yet. Nobody wants to climb up on top of these great big mountains cut down the mountain and then cut down a bench to get, you know, above this turkey. Everybody wants to, you know, they want to walk 100 yards from the truck and sit down and call him, call him in. Whether it be flat or calling downhill, I will not try to call a turkey to the road because 99% of the times where I hunt, he's not coming towards that road. Not to a call. Now, they cross them roads all the time, but if you're trying to call him towards an area that he's just heard so much racket from, Chances are he's just going to stand there and gobble at you. He's not going to come in. And when I do get set up, I'm not going to do a bunch of fancy loud stuff because they just don't. Uh, they'll gobble at it, but they don't commit to it very often. Now, when I'm looking for a gobbler, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock in the day, and, and I'm not hearing anything, I'm doing a lot of cutting in the open. But as soon as I hear one gobble and I've got him pinpointed, he's not going to hear me again until I'm in his hip pocket. And all I'm going to do, like that little leaf scratching thing Preston's got, that thing's awesome. Uh, that'll kill more turkeys than any turkey call there is. not even that much. Uh, I just called a little more there to, to demonstrate. There's, there's going to be soft stuff. Soft stuff too. Uh, yeah, sometimes you can you can cut and yoke your butt off and you know and have a hot two or three year old just come barreling in on you. We've all had it happen a bunch of times. But that's turkey hunting is greatest, but most days that's just not going to happen. So I try to do everything differently. I don't owl hoot unless I absolutely have to. I don't blow a curl call unless I absolutely have to. And the only reason for that being is because people in my area are overusing those products and it's making the turkey smart to them. So I just try to do everything different. Great points. Okay, we're going to bring the microphone back up to Jesse. And uh, we're going to start our question and answer period for the next 15 or 20 minutes. And then uh, 
we'll have to uh, end the seminar with that. Um, and if you guys got questions, please fire them away. And I'm going to try and give each panelist an equal opportunity to answer those questions, depending on how many questions we get. But man, you got them here. These are some of the greatest. So don't be scared to raise your hand and ask a question because we'd like to uh, give you as much information as we can. Start with questions and answers. Yes, sir. I'm interested in hearing about I'm a in your career, the most killing. The most killing or the oldest or what? The, the answer to the question is what's it, what time of day do you most kill him? Alright, we'll start with Jesse and um whenever you check the fish line, no To me, uh, I would say between around one and four. That's uh, that's one of my favorite times to strike a bird. Uh, he can hunt all day. Yeah, a lot of days you can. Okay, yeah, Kentucky, we can hunt. Okay, Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, when I mean, you're hunting out there all morning, you know, sometimes I like to call it a turkey nap. You know, you sit down and play the golf and wake you up, and then you go hunting. But, uh, let's, let's go down the line. Chris? Um, I love early morning hunting. I love watching, you're working one right off the roost, and I'm a big advocate of going and roosting one the evening before, and I can tell you that roosted is not roasted, there's no question about it, but I will say this, and there's a lot of people that hunt with me in a warning, that if I roost nine turkeys, eight of them will die. One of them might get away, but I love hunting them off the roost. I, I, I've got little tricks and secrets that I do. Watch the direction they come in from. They came in that direction for a reason. They're probably going to go back out that direction, not always, but probably, most likely. Figure out your setup from there, put yourself in position, get tight on him, get in there early and get tight, and keep your mouth shut until he hits the ground, maybe a little bit of light clucking or something just to kind of let him know you're in the area. I have very, very good luck with that. So I kill most of my, because I have to work, like a lot of these guys, they just take off and hunt, but I'm getting old, so I'm thinking about retirement now, so, so I have to work, so I have to hunt the first couple hours of the morning to go to work. Preston, um, with the amount of traveling to different places I go to, usually the actual kill time is between 8.30 and 9.30. Very seldom they'll ever kill a bird straight off the roots. I've got to make some type of move, so on and so forth, because I don't know the territory and don't know the terrain. Unlike him, my best killing time on my best birds, longest spurred birds, let's go back to the old days, 12 to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Mark Freedom. I agree. Um, you're going to interact with more birds in the morning, you know, simply because you can hear them and, and you're going to sit down to them and they're going to gobble and everything else. But killing, I mean, actual getting on them and getting the job done, whether they come in gobbling or quiet, I'm going to say two, three o'clock for me. I mean, it's, it's, that's the time where things get serious. And just like Chris, um, you know, my thing, and Jim made a comment about this earlier, his setup. That time of day setup is critical. Um, if, you're, if they're coming in a field at 4 o'clock, you know, and then you want to get out, you better get there early. The setup is critical. And I never call to a bird, if I, if I think I know where he's at, I won't call to him until I'm ready. A lot of times people call, the bird gobbles right there, you're not ready. So I, I call it a presentation. I want to make a presentation and I want everything to be right before I present that call to them. 
So, and knowing the land and everything at that time makes a big difference too. Billy? Like the press was talking about earlier about the blind calling, uh, I do kill some straight off the roof, get them around home. Uh, when you go out and you're, you're hunting different states and stuff like that, you don't need to do the amount of scouting if you need to because I don't run out of state like I used to. As Chris was talking though, I mean, when you, when you know the bird, when you've done your scouting, it's always easier to call that bird where it wants to go. Like he said, he, he, find, he figures out where they're, where they're probably going to go anyway. It's way easier than trying to call it. By, by the way, Ray, I and I've hunted with Ray quite a bit. He is in absolute he's like chris he's an absolute expert at figuring what those turkeys those he knows what those turkeys want to do before those turkeys know what they want to do i mean that's just huge and ray is expert at that but there we have to quit we have to quit hunting in missouri at one o'clock but i would say my majority of birds uh probably between that 10 o'clock and our quit time my i mean it was deadline it was right on the right on the quit time I'm going to say I've heard probably at least five, six years old. He might have been older. I'm hoping this year, but that's going to open up for the last two or three years. We haven't heard that many gobblers in there, and I think that had a lot to do with him. So I'm anxious to get back into this year and see what happens there. I'll probably call him like a two-year-old for about two years. Jim Pollard. Jim Pollard. My favorite time to hunt was right off the roost like Chris, uh, especially if I've got one roosted, uh, because you can just you can just squeeze them so tight. You know, I'll get in there an hour and a half uh, before daylight and just keep inching forward and inching forward. And you know, if you can get 50, 60 yards from a turkey and you're even close to the direction he wants to go, when he hits the ground, you know, it, it's, it's usually over. Uh, not always, like Chris said, roosted is not roasted, but you got a pretty good chance. If you know that terrain, and uh, you know you hear that turkey gobble, you know off the roost, you know when he goes to bed at night. You know pretty close to where he's at. You know the you know the quietest path to get in there and get out of him. Uh, but I will also have to say that my best killing time is 12 noon and three o'clock in in that range. Uh, you don't hear very many turkeys, but when you hear one, you can usually do something with it. Uh, you, you'll at least have a, a two, three-hour match with a goblin turkey, and, and I enjoy that. Uh, but that, that, that's my time, uh, my favorite time to actually kill, and especially older turkeys. A lot of older turkeys don't gobble off the roost very much because they, they've been pressured for so many years. They'll just sit up here in the tree and drum. All their hands will go to them drumming. They don't have to gobble as much. I want to uh, add to that before we go to the next question, and that is, um, from my perspective in the years that I've turkey hunted, it really truly depends on the species you're hunting. In other words, if you're hunting Rio Grande, I will promise you early afternoon to mid-afternoon is going to be the killing time. Coming off the roost, you're almost wasting your time. I'm not saying you're not going to kill them off. Easterns are a different animal. I agree with Chris and Jim. Coming off the roost, you can get darn sure get one killed. But if that don't work, I'm, I'm with Billy. That magical time, 10 a.m. to 1 o'clock, we have killed more turkeys than any. That's Easterns. But again, each species does have a different dynamic. So we're mostly talking about Easterns. I get that. But be aware that if you go on a Rio or you go on a Miriam, sometimes afternoon and evening is your better hunt. Okay? That's just because the hens have left. Yeah, and, that's, and, and by the way, Chris just put up, uh, just said a good point. Pick up the mic if you guys make that point again real quick. What's that? About well, the hens. Most, most of the time when you're killing turkeys in the afternoon, the reason why you get that aggression from them and, and 
and sometimes they're willing to go ahead. You know, all of a sudden, 9 o'clock, he's strutting, he turns the circle, and he looks back, and Martha's like gone. He's like, well, uh, wait a minute, what's going on here? And so 10.30, he starts gobbling on his own, kind of looking, you get a call, and he's, you know, panics Bill a lot of times. And, it, you know, it's like a it's like 180-inch deer when he's on a hot doe. He'll get right down in the middle of I-70 and follow her to town. It doesn't make any difference, and he's that way. And that, that's why those times are really probably some of the best times because that's those those gobblers are out, you know, those hens have left them, and it, it does make sense. And I don't get me wrong, I love to hunt all day, but we kind of got it, you know, because of 1 o'clock cutoff time in Missouri, You've got some time before if you're working, you know, if you, you, got, if you have to work, I'm fortunate to kind of do what I want, but if you have to work, you got a couple, three hours in the morning, and so you get to where you try to push being successful in that timeline that you have. Sure. Learn how to hunt that timeline that you have. Absolutely. Okay, next question. We're from Southern Indiana, and uh, last year... Get, is the season open all day or come on? All day. And... Uh, and uh, last year the weather patterns were so warm in the spring and Indiana does not Indiana is a one season state and you know and we're a six hour north to south state. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of there's a lot of dynamics absolutely going on there. Absolutely. So we get to April twentieth when our season finally opens and the last three weeks we've been driving around seeing flocks of turkeys out in the fields and dollars strapping all this and we hit the twentieth and it's eighty degrees and you don't see turkeys anymore, you don't hear turkeys anymore, it's like it's done, like there's no turkey. <coughs> how do you how do you have a good opening weekend when you're not hearing them, you're not seeing them, you know they're out there somewhere though? Is that is that a big thing for you guys? Go to another state. I'm staying in Evansville now working for Bear yeah. Archery. Yeah. So I mean oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I'm I'm more, more, yeah, okay. So um, <laughs> First off, he wants to know he wants to know the coordinates of your farm. Then he'll answer the question. All I need to know is where these turkeys are gobbling at, and I'll go have a talk with them. And, and <laughs> my question to you would be: Is as the season progresses and the season's getting close to the end, are you seeing the gobbling start to pick back up again, or does it just continue to stay shut down? Not last year. Yeah, not last year. Well, you're going to have years like that. How, how's your hatches been? Uh, I'm showing 15 to 20. I, I've got a small 40-acre place, and every spring after the hatch, I'm seeing 15 to 20 poles. Because okay, so you're having continuously good hatches, yeah, which can do a lot of things too. You can have a whole bunch of hens, and those hens are with your gobblers starting out, and those turkeys will shut up and will read. They'll get to a point where there's just not much going on because he's looking at her every morning. Yeah, you don't have to do a whole lot. But I would say, in a nutshell, and we've had the same thing happen. Billy lives in Missouri. We, you know, we and Steve does. We we have times when you would know there was a turkey within 14 miles of a place, and there's five or six gobblers on it. And it's kind of the way the seasons go. You have an early spring. Like last year, we had an early spring. Turkeys gobbled really, really strong early. It kind of got a little bit uh, weird during the middle of the season. It seemed like right at the very end of the season, things picked up just a little bit. And that's kind of the way it usually goes. It may be a totally different spring than the spring, but kind of look at those patterns. And then the biggest thing that I do to be successful during those times, and these guys may or may not agree, but Put as much shoe leather on as you can and watching and looking and listening. Yeah, favorite yanker is the lamb, though. 
Well, no, but you can still go out there long distance and watch those fields and stuff and get an idea where those turkeys are entering and exiting and, and, and kind of get an idea of what's going on. Oh, there. That's Jesse lives in Kentucky, and so that's not that far. No. So he's dealing with some of the same dynamics, although he don't have a six-hour drive from north to south. So yeah, my sister, she lives in Edwardsville, actually. Uh, you talk about what being 80, 80 degrees, and turkeys not doing anything. Uh, we got a farm back home that's probably got 10 trees on it, and 700 acres as well. And it's just the old rock fences. Cedar trees here and there scattered down those fences. It, it, when it's hot like that, you tell me, you get where you can glass, and they will be turkeys struck in the shade of those cedar trees. Yeah. Right down along that fence. So that sun's coming up, and that fence is just going to block with that cedar tree coming up. You know, it's a little bit of shade right there. They will strut in those strut zones and shade zones, what I like to call them. A target hill strut in a strut zone where he knows he will come. And, and hear him drumming, spit drumming. He'll also have a place when it's hot, he'll come in there and drum and just strut around in that shade. He ain't gonna say a whole lot, it's hot. I, I, some people say that, you know, Goblin has a lot of the pressure, and I, I believe in that. Uh, I spread a little pressure. Yeah. You get so, those shaded areas and just kind of wait him out, strut some, maybe some thrashing, get you a little bag like that or something. Look for dusting areas. Yep. Yeah. Dusting areas are great places because those hops will go there and dust. He'll be going, but he's just like, that's kind of like a straight, you know, and it's really not, but in your mind, that's how you should look at it and look at those places like that. They'll go frequent those places, and sometimes you just meet him there. What I would do, and and we're going to go to the next question, because we've got time for about one or two more questions. We're going to have to uh, shut her down. But I would darn sure make sure I had a place both far north and south to cover both dynamics because if they're not doing it in the south, they're going to be doing it in the north. So you're saying I can talk to my wife today about buying another farm? I, 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 you, have, you have my permission. You have my permission. I'm in. <laughs> All right. I won't wait until that. One second. Okay. Yeah. Here, one second. It's great to be in the same place every year, right? Go to places where you have harvested birds that before and basically the same time of day. Because teenagers don't learn from that. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah, no, that's the Eddie Moyers rule. You can kill a turkey about not maybe not every year, but every several years a turkey will take take its place on different types of dynamics and structure, high tops, corners of fields, hollows, and ridges where where a bunch of ridge tops meet. Um, those are places that you can literally kill a turkey darn near every year. And if you don't kill one there every year, every couple of years, there'll be a gobbler take its place. Uh, because they're going high and they're going to places where they can put out their sounds, put out their, they, they communicate as much with low frequency sounds, strutting, spitting, drumming, as any of the high frequency sounds such as goblin and that. Next question in the back. So my question is, how do you guys go about locating birds about mid-morning, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at noon? How do you go about doing it? What kind of calls do you do and what kind of yelps or what kind of clock and cousin? We're going to start with Mark Rudin. Well, um, I don't hunt near gym, but I, I like pro calls. Um, where I'm at, you know, that's a, the time of day you hear. I don't hear a lot of owls in the middle of the day, but I mean, sometimes I do, but it won't carry as far. So I, first thing I would do is just start with a pro call. If I don't hear anything with a pro call, then I'm probably going to grab my trumpet and get really loud on it. And sometimes 
using a trumpet or something like that as a locator will get a response when nothing else will or, or, or a box call. A box call um, for locating a long box is, is hard to beat. Um, but with that being said, I never do any kind of sound until I have done, found a place I can sit and hurry. Because I'm, I'm telling you, I have I have hit a box call and he'd be right there. You know, stick where I'm. I'm in South Carolina. A lot of swamp, a lot of a lot of brush, and you know, he may be he may be 30 yards and you can't see him. I've actually had birds answer me right on top of me, and all I can do is just sit down. Um, so you don't know. So you know, but there's another point too. Start soft because if he is close. He may gobble right there, and then. Escalate it louder and try to get him to go. Billy? Can you add to that, Jim? I can. I mean, I, I, uh, I don't use a crow call a lot. I do, I do a little bit. One of my favorite things to do is if I'm in an area where I hopefully there's not anybody else hunting, I, I like to play the elk and, and work a ridge down and try to act as much like a hen as I can, doing playing the elk and some plucking. And a lot of times that will get one to fire off. But like Mark said, you really have to be careful. But and a lot of times what I will do is I'll I'll try to always be looking where am I going to set up. If one gobbles, where am I going to be set up at? Because you can get caught with your pants down. Uh, the other thing I'm like Mark, I like to use a box call, and I like to cut and yelp just my side of yelp on that box call, and that'll drag a gobble out. It just depends. It depends on the day. Like they was talking about earlier, when it's really hot and a bird don't want to gobble. Uh, the best thing to do is to get your scouting and get into an area where the birds, you know the birds are hanging out at. Jim? I agree uh, with, with what Billy said 100%. Uh, first off, I'm not I'm not against somebody blowing a, a crow call or an owl hooter. Turkey's gobble to them. And I don't know, maybe that was misunderstood earlier. Uh, where I hunt, I don't have to because somebody else is going to do it for me. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm not I'm not against crow calls or owl hooters. Uh, I've got a bunch of them. I just I, you know, and I and I have a crow call and a, an owl hooter uh, in my vest. Matter of fact, the owl hooter in my vest was designed and made by Mark Urban. Uh and it's a great owl hooter. Uh, but when you've got you know 15 guys around you blowing one from an hour and a half before daylight until 11 o'clock in the morning. I don't need one. If I sit there five minutes, somebody else is going to do it for me. Uh, but I agree. Uh, uh, late in the morning, you know, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, nothing's going on. Uh, I'm running and gunning. You know, I'm going to try to, you know, cover as much ground as I can and just stop every, you know, 100 yards, 75, 100 yards, make sure that I got my tree picked out in case one bus loose right on top of me, and I'm just, I'm just going to hit it hard. Just try to get a turkey gobble. I do that a couple times there. I may sit down and wait 15, 20 minutes. A lot of times you'll get done call, with a calling sequence, you don't get a response, and 20 minutes later, turkey starts gobbling. He, got, he was thinking of you. And what was happening there, if you've watched turkeys enough, the whole time you were calling to that turkey, he's just standing out there every time you call. That's all he's doing. And then he doesn't hear you for 15 or 20 minutes, and he'll start gobbling looking for you. So uh, I backtrack a lot. If I if I hunt an old an old you know logging road out and I get to the end of the ridge, I've got just as much confidence 
of killing a turkey on that ridge, coming back as I do going out. Prospect. Yep. Yep, that happened so, so much. And Denny Goldless taught me that in one of his videos that, that he put out years ago. And that has happened to me so many times. Uh, you know, especially late in the season. Like, our season in Arkansas is only two weeks long. And our season's about over when it opens. I mean, our gobblers are gobbling to each other. They're going back to each other. And it gets really hard. So, you know, I find myself, believe it or not, hunting out of my truck. You know, just just covering as much ground as I can, jumping out, standing there for 10 minutes and listening. If I don't hear anything, hit the call. And uh, uh, I don't I don't promote that a whole bunch because I really don't think it's a it's a good way to hunt. But when that's all you've got going, you know, and it's 85 degrees out, there's rattlesnakes and copperheads around every other tree. It's kind of hard to, to cover a lot of ground, you know, quickly. He's Chris is scared of fake snakes because I put a fake snake down beside him. He was looking at a real rattlesnake in a glass cage, and when he started to back up, he saw that fake one sitting by his feet, and he just about freaked out. Yeah. Then 15 minutes later, he almost lost his arm when there was an alligator laying there sunning himself and he's laying there with his mouth open and he was about to reach through the fence and touch the thing and we were like, Chris, that's real. You know, he's talking about that, uh, about getting caught with your band down when you're calling. This is another deal. You don't have to sit down beside a tree to kill a turkey. No. I killed a lot of turkeys stand up. When I, when I talk about doing that plane yelping and the clucking and just searching, trying to get when one gobbles, stand up beside a tree and get ready. Because when he when he pops up, most of the time he's going to be really, really close, just yelling. I mean, that's, that's my theory. One, one thing I'd like to add, too, you know, and real quickly, we were talking about crow calls and everything. And, and I know Presto agrees, he's got a crow call. He might be the thing is, is it doesn't matter what kind of call you're using, do it like the animal. Be yeah. realistic. Because crows are, where Jim lives, there's crows all day long saying stuff. But what Jim's talking about is a guy gets out of the truck, he's and, and it's not realistic. And they can tell that, okay? If you if you use a crow call or an owl hooter, spend time practicing with that as much as you do your other call. Be realistic with every call. Uh, blowing a crow call the, the right way, like a crow would do, soft at first and then build up to it, makes a big difference. I'm going to add something. I got crow call. I got crow Pressure. Real quick, think of some of the oddities that might be out there off. Everything he's got to say is spot on. What if there's, hmm, farmers got roosters. Hmm. What if there's donkeys? Geese. What if there's bulls? What if there's geese? Try some other sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Peacocks. Trust me, Preston has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mark talks about, about the trumpet, and I, and I love a wingbow call. Um, that's part of the things we had to do at Champion Champions. Mark makes makes his really, really good wingbones. He'll never give you one of them. But he'll get, and let, let me tell you one thing, too. He'll take you to his best places. Yeah, I do. 
his best place is a turkey hunt. I mean, he'll say it's his honey hole, and we sat there for 45 minutes and never heard a turkey gobble. And finally, one with barely a beard come walking up and let's mark shooting, but we never heard another turkey in the place. So his honey holes are, are pretty poor. <laughs> <laughs> Try to pick on Mark a little bit, but he's got the Jake, though. He was the Jake. No, he had two strands of beard that was over seven inches. <laughs> <laughs> he's, got, he's got a tooth call around his neck, and you don't hear a lot of things anymore about tube calls. I mean, a lot of people use them here and you hear some stuff at these specialty shows, but I will not go in the turkey woods by a tube call. It's one of my go-to locator calls. It, some of the cutting and yoking that come off of the tube call for long distance calling, especially because they're fairly loud, is well, the most realistic thing. Let's hear some tube calling and we're going to have to finish, uh, finish the seminar up. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed that. I told you there was some gold at the end of this seminar, and I'll be shocked to hear if I disappointed. So I'm going to be pretty quick with my intro and outro this week, but I'm going to ask you for a favor before I cut you loose. The favor is this. If you have not already done so, if you would please, on the podcast player application that you listen to this show on, if you would leave a five-star rating and a review for the show, that would be a huge help. And with that, I'm going to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.